Well, we're going to say good morning and a happy Mother's Day to all of you moms out there. Um, And if you're a dad out there, I hope you did breakfast in bed for your mom because uh, they absolutely deserve it. Really is a special day. You know, we uh, quite often, you know, kind of rush through the day. But when you stop and think about the impact and influence that God has has built into moms, pretty phenomenal. Um, You know, it's it's not someone like me or or a church or an institution that that shapes uh, a a child. It's it's a mom and, and a dad. So we're very thankful for who you are and what you do. I'm going to start off with some thanks this morning. Um, You know, we've been talking as we've gone through these last weeks about some of the good things that are happening, and I'm going to share a couple of those with you. Um, First of all, I'm going to just share with you this past week, it's really good to be able to serve some people in this congregation. Um, A number of you have asked me, do we have people from our church that have uh, gone through some real hardship with this COVID-19, and we, and we have. Uh, this past week, we were able to serve three families in a very specific way, uh, fiscally, uh, to be able to, to, to at least bring a little bit of relief to some people who will have some big medical bills or who lost jobs and really trying to figure out how to, how to make ends meet. So that COVID-19 fund, I want to just stop and say thank you for that. That's allowed us to more immediately respond to some people's needs, and we were able to do that this week. I want to say thank you for the prayer concert. Uh, this is, this is uh, amazing to me. I, I still go back about a year ago, and I think about um, sitting around a table and uh, and saying to a group of people, hey, let's let's begin to pray for 300 participants. And uh, I remember one of the one of the men on the committee said 300. He says we we've never had we've never had 30. And I'm like, well, we're going to pray for 300. And and of course, a year ago, um, that that life center got filled up with circles of people in prayer. Um, this year. We say, well, we're going to do it virtually, and we'll we'll see what happens. And this is amazing to me. Um, as of I think Thursday, I haven't I haven't even looked uh, recently. Uh, Seventeen hundred people had uh, joined in the prayer concert, and I think about that 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 God is using this time to just take His word even exponentially out beyond what we could imagine. Same thing's true of VBS. This is just kind of a fun fact for you. We're getting ready to uh, wind up registration for VBS this year. Gives people time to order T-shirts and all. Uh, but we literally uh, have uh, kids from five different states, eleven different cities that are going to be participating in VBS this year. That's amazing to me. Uh, VBS Without Walls has really blown up. It's been a, a, a great thing to watch. And then a thank you for, for uh, our preschool. Uh, our preschool teachers have been very active uh, over these months preparing packets to go home with families and uh, have done a tremendous job of that. And, uh, and of course, uh, with our preschool director getting ready to, to have a little one, uh, we have been working towards uh, searching for a new preschool director, and I'm glad to be able to just announce to you today that uh, God has has uh, has brought back 
to uh, our preschool, uh, Deanne Dupler, who will now take over the reins and serve as our, our director. And um, I noticed that literally the teachers, when they heard the news, were, were literally dancing uh, for joy. So lots to be thankful for. I'm going to start with kind of a funny phrase. Uh, I, maybe you've heard this before, maybe you haven't, but just kind of, kind of follow with me now. It says, when you're dead, you don't know you're dead. The pain is only felt by others. You got that? When you're dead, you don't know you're dead. The pain is only felt by others. Here's the second half of that. The same thing happens when you're stupid. Isn't that good, Fritz? I like that. The same thing happens when you're, the pain is only felt by, by others. Uh, we're going to jump in. We're in Chapter 5, and I want to pick up with, uh, with, with what will be some kind of uh, deep stuff this morning. Uh, last week, we came around this word. I think it's a significant word in Scripture, and the word is thalipsin, which translates tribulations. And, um, you know, people often ask, in fact, we're going to talk about this this, this morning in our message time uh, with Revelation chapter 6. Hey, are we in the last times? Uh, what is the tribulation? And if you've done much reading in eschatology, uh, you're, you're familiar with uh, here in the West, uh, different ways of thinking about the end times. But one of the more popularized ideas is that the tribulation is somewhere in the future. It's to come. And yet the Bible uses the term thalipsis or tribulation throughout the entire New Testament period for a reason, because we're in it. We're, we are experiencing tribulations. And they come in different shapes, forms, and packages. Uh, I like this saying. Uh, I heard one pastor say it this way. He says, sometimes God's provisions come packaged as pain. Think about that. God's provisions come packaged as pain. Thalipsis is a period of pain. But it also does something inside of us. And uh, we kind of went through this sequence of words uh, in verses uh, 3 to 5 there, that that ellipsis or tribulation is producing something. It's birthing out something. Uh, the first thing it births is what we call endurance. The Greek word here is hypomone. Uh, what does it mean to come under the moaning of this world, under the brokenness of this world? And I'm just going to be real honest with you uh, this morning. There's times, even in the last few weeks, when, when you just feel it. I feel the weight of it all. I, fe- I felt it walking in the doors this morning again. I mean, inside of my head uh, is this loud voice that says, I've had it. Just had it. Why, why am I walking into an empty building here? This is not right. And we're under it. We're under the, 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 the moan of this world, the brokenness of it all. And we're, we're asking those questions. And God says, let, let me tell you what's happening is while you're going through this ellipsis, this tribulation, yeah, it's pushing down on you. It's causing you pain. It's real pain. That pain in turn gives birth to, I like this word, dokumen, a testing of the value of our faith. That's what's happening in us. Can, can my faith hold up? Will it hold on to me during this time? Uh, it's being pressed upon. It's being pushed upon. And the value of my faith is being tested. Right? Um, 
finally, it gives birth to what? Hope. I mean, that, that's what we're after. God says, I'm going to give you hope. In the midst of the hard stuff that's going on, hope. And right now, I, I have that hope. Uh, not, not just the kind of hope that says, oh, hey, we're, the, the country's going to reopen or, or we're going to come back to, to worship. It's a deeper hope than that. Uh, what God's been doing in me in the last number of weeks is, is reminding me, hey, hey Luke, um, there's, there's, a, there, there's a hope for the, the church in this time that will come out of this more convicted than ever of the need to bring the gospel of Jesus Christ out into the world. Um, I hope that's happening in you. It's happening in me. I'm finding myself more and more just convicted that how do we, 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 we don't have time to play church, right? Uh, the, this, this world, this city needs us to be that, that uh, city set up on a hill that says, look, if, if nothing else, this whole period of time has reminded us of the, the, the closeness of death and the need to be ready to look death in the eye and, and to have the hope of Jesus Christ when we do that's able to look death in the eye and say, you don't own me. You can't have me. I belong to Jesus Christ and I will live forever in him. And that's the hope that we're, we're after. What sustains this hope? I just want you to look at the, the last words here. Uh, in this sequencing of verses, um, verse number five says, this hope does not put us into shame. It's a bold hope because, uh, look at these words, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. And in my Bible, I've circled these two, these two words, love and Holy Spirit. Uh, what's happening is the Holy Spirit is, is, is in us through faith, Right. Um, sometimes we, we forget that. We think we talk about the Holy Spirit like he's a bird out there somewhere. And he's flying around somewhere. No, God says when you come to faith, the Holy Spirit comes to dwell in your tent within your body. He's in us. And what is he doing? He's reminding us of this. You're loved. You're loved by the God who holds the universe in his hands. You're loved. And what gets you through, what, what strengthens that hope inside of you, what gives you a boldness to, to face what's going on in this world is that spirit testifying to you again and again. You're loved by this God. And uh, as a result of that, we're able to, to sustain no matter what happens in our life. We're going to pick up with verse 6. Uh, it's kind of a transition uh, here in chapter 5. Uh, and a reminder to the audience that Paul is speaking to, uh, namely the, the, the church in Rome, that um, God's giving, uh, given us this hope, not because we deserve it, not because we're great people, not because we're, we're former Jews or the called out people, but because, because of that love that God has, not just for us, but for the whole of the world. Uh, just follow this verse 6. He says, For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the aspion, the ungodly. Let's think about that. If I'm, if I'm listening to Paul right now, I'm, I, I grew up in the Jewish church. I've always believed, you know what, I'm, I'm one of the called out people. Now I've, I've transitioned. I've become a Christian. I've become a follower of Jesus Christ. That's the, that's the church in Rome. 
but I still have this in me. Hey, you know what? But I'm, I'm, I'm called out. Maybe, maybe I'm a little bit above the rest of the world out here, the Gentile evil world out here. No, what Paul is saying, no, you need to remember this, that God's love is for who? It's for everyone. When did God come to us? When I got it right? When I made a decision to follow him? I've decided to follow Jesus. Is that when he came to me? Did he come to me because I figured out the scripture? Oh, I've got, no, I've got this figured out. No. What does it say? While we were weak at just the right time. God's got a timing to it. Christ died for the what? Ungodly. The word ungodly doesn't just mean people who are, that person's evil. Look at that person's sin. And that, no, it means someone who is outside of faith. They do not have faith. They do not know God. And what happens is God says, this is what I'm here to do. I sent, sent my son in the world for this purpose, to die for all, for those who are apart from me. Verse 7, uh, for one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person, one would dare even to die. Now that kind of makes uh, sense to us. In fact, I found myself thinking about this uh, here this week. I'm thinking, well, yeah, who would you die for? Who would you die for? Luke, who would you die for? You know, would you die for your wife? Well, yeah, I'd die for my wife. Would you die for your kids? Absolutely, I'd die for my kids. And we say that, who would we die for? And, and he's making that point here. Is, you know what, people don't just die for each other. Uh, maybe someone who was quote-unquote, good. He says, here's, here's God. Look, look at verse 8. God, but God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, we're opposed to him. Christ died for us. By the way, what's the most important word in that verse? Just follow it. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. I don't usually circle the word us in the Bible, but I did this time. Because that's the word that Paul wants this church to hear. That was me. Outside of faith. Not, not making a decision for God. I'm making the decisions for me. And God says, I'm going to die for you. Verse 9, since therefore we have now been justified by his blood. It's kind of a, a forensic way of saying uh, the scales of justice have been made right by what? By a blood sacrifice, by a death. Since we've been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. What God wants is to, is to what? To, to redeem us, to make us right with God through this death of Jesus Christ, so that what we don't have to spend eternity apart from God. That's, that's God's wrath. What's God's wrath? Eternity of separation. That's God's wrath. And, and what does God want for you? I, I want you to be in relationship with me. I want to live together with you for, forever. Verse 10, for if while we were enemies, capture that again, while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. Um, again, just 
focusing upon who is Jesus Christ. Uh, Verse 11, more than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Who are we? People who have received this great gift, reconciliation. Now, what are we supposed to do with it? I know we're supposed to hoard it and keep it to ourselves. I know we're supposed to withdraw from the world because the world is evil. No, you're part of the us. You were evil. Enemy of God. What did God do for you? Gave you this gift. What are we supposed to do with it? Take it out into the world. By the way, I want you just to, to, to do this with me. I'll have you for a minute here read those, those last words again. And then going to have you flip over to another chapter of Scripture. So, so first read the word, the very last word, verse 11. We rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. We have the gift of reconciliation. Now, keep your finger there and flip over to 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 5. And um, I want you to um, look at uh, verse 11 there in 2 Corinthians. Because as we received the gift of reconciliation, what what does Paul tell us we're supposed to to do with it? Um, uh, Kind of listen to this. In fact, let's go a little bit further. Skip all the way over to uh, um, uh, to verse 19 in 2 Corinthians um, chapter 5. Here's here's what it reads. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 19. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling, same word, right, that we see in Romans, reconciling the word to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. He's not, we've received it, now he's given us that same gift to do what with? Verse 20, to be ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us, imploring people on behalf of Christ to be reconciled to God. And uh, again, that's, that's kind of what's sitting inside of me uh, today as I think about what, Luke, how, how will this, this, this ellipsis, this thing change you? Is I, I've, I've kind of gotten to that point of, of realizing there really can't be, uh, there's, there's not that much time left, uh, in, in, at least in my life, to play games. How do I help? As I connect with another person, that person begin to recognize uh, who they are in Christ Jesus. Do you, do you know the story? Do you know who you are? How do I help bring this message of reconciliation into the life of another person? I'm committed to that more so today than I, than I think I ever have been. And, uh, and, and to walking with you in doing the same. How do we, as a body here, just really come down to our knees and realize there's way too much of this city, of our neighborhoods, of the people in our lives, that they really don't know their story. And let's not be timid. Let's be bold uh, in Jesus Christ. All right, let's go to verse uh, verses 12 uh, to the end of chapter uh, 5, uh, and particularly to the, to the end of verse 14. Gets kind of thick, so I want you to just follow me here, because um, what Paul wants to do now is he wants to, to lift up. If we're going to talk about reconciliation, 
and again, bringing this gift to the world, we have to recognize what that looks like, what that means. Uh, Who are the people that we're coming to? So a lot of theology here. Verse 12 says, therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, just as there's going to be a comparison now. Sin came into the world through one man and death through sin. Stop there for a minute. Answer this question. What kind of death? Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin. And the most obvious answer is what? Physical death. There was no death prior to sin. God made literally two human beings, Adam and Eve, and then ultimately their their offspring to be eternal creatures, to to live forever. Uh, That's how Adam and Eve were made. We're made in in God's image, but guess what? We're made to live forever. Our our souls will will never die. In fact, I tell people this all the time. Um... You're going to die physically, right? Why? Because death came into the world through sin. It's one of the consequences of sin, Genesis 3. But I think there's more going on here in this verse. Think about this with me. Just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin. The the place Adam and Eve found themselves after sinning against God was not just, oh, now we're going to physically die. But, but what was the problem? Now they, they have eternal death to deal with. They're separated from God. You know, we get that picture all the way back in Genesis. All of a sudden, these two creatures who, who are in love with God, who, who walk with him in the garden, hear him in the garden, and what they're filled with what? Shame and fear. They hide from him. We're separated now. And really what's going on is they, they're facing the prospect of eternal separation from God. All right, that's important, so kind of get that into your mind. Just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin. We're not just talking about physical death, that's included, but we're talking about death eternally. That's the consequence of sin. My One sin on my part separates me eternally from God if I'm apart from Jesus Christ. Now keep reading the verse. And so, death, now I'm, I'm reading out of the ESB translation, so the, the, the translation here may be different depending upon your, your version, but, but follow it along. It says, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. Adam sinned, Eve sinned, Death spread to all men, for all men sinned. Okay? Here's a huge question. Um, What does this mean? Death spread to all men, for all men sinned. Here's the big question. Am I born with sin? And if so, what is its impact on, on my life? Now, when you study theological systems or church bodies, you recognize that one of the reasons that Christianity has 
Baptists and Lutherans and Catholics and free Christians and you name it. One of the reasons we have denominations is when you go back and you look at the the people who formed what we're going to call denominations or even even what we call uh, non-denominations today, there's always some theological basis out of which that person is working. In other words, everyone has to answer this question. What does it mean, death spread to all men, for all men sinned? Am I born with sin? If so, what is its impact upon me? What you're going to find is, and I don't want to overgeneralize, but I, th- I don't think I am. You're going to find that there's, there's predominantly three answers to that question. Three different answers to that question. And they influence the way that we see our ministry of reconciliation. Okay, so let's start over here with the, the Catholic Church. Am I, Adam and Eve sinned, and so death spread to all men? What does that mean? Um, well, the Catholic Church says it this way. Yep, Adam sinned, and now his offspring, the very, you know, I mean, Cain, Abel, all, all the kids that are born, death through Adam's sin spreads into them. Okay, so he sinned, he sinned, I, I didn't sin, he sinned, Adam did it, Eve, Eve did that. You're saying that that, that sin came into to me just because I'm his child, I was born of, of Adam and Eve? Well, the Catholic Church said, well, yeah, yeah, I'm, that's what we're saying. All right, what is its impact upon me? Well... Its impact upon you is that it has damaged your relationship with God. And in fact, if we could draw a picture of it and could look inside of you, uh, kind of like you, you look at an x-ray and you're looking into someone's, someone's lungs, right? You can see what's going on. If we could draw a picture of you, you would be mostly black inside. I, you, you've got all this sin in you from Adam. But then there would be this little white dot in the middle. That's the part of you that can work cooperatively with God to achieve your salvation. Oh. So this this sin of Adam came into me, damaged me, but I still have this good thing in me that's able to cooperatively work with God towards my salvation. Yeah. Now, under the huge umbrella, theologically speaking, of the Roman Church, there's variations on that. Most most of what Rome believes to this day is the the way you work cooperatively with God to achieve your salvation is through what participation in the sacraments of the church, which give you the kind of grace energy you need to to be able to work out your salvation with God, right? So, in, in, in very simple terms, the Catholic Church, quite often you'll hear them say, you know, if, you, if you're part of the church, then you receive the sacraments, which enable you to work, work out your salvation. Now, I, I want to be clear about this. There's a, this is a, Rome is a huge umbrella. So, there, there's, there's people on the, what, what might be called the liberal side of Catholicism that go so far as to say, even if you're not, even if you're not a believer, 
even if you're outside of the church, you still have that little goodness in you that allows you to cooperatively work with God. And so if you do enough good things, then it's possible that you'd be saved. In fact, uh, there's a term uh, often used for this. Uh, it's kind of a funny term, but, but theologically, uh, the term is anonymous Christianity. In other words, there's people within that big umbrella of Catholicism that would say, well, if it's true that you still can cooperate with God, then we, we must hold open the possibility that there's people out there that aren't part of any church that, don't even, that would say, I don't believe in Jesus Christ, but it doesn't matter because they can work out their salvation by doing enough good things. That's wrong. Let's go to the other side. Let's talk about evangelical Christianity, which comprises most of the theological basis in the United States today. How, how, how would you answer this question? Death spread to all men for all men sinned. Well, evangelical Christianity would say, well, no, 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 we're born into this world. We, we agree with our Catholic brothers and sisters over here that what sin is, it damaged us. It damaged us badly. To the point that we really have nothing to bring to God. I, I can't work out my salvation. It's not possible. And so what happens is um, God comes to me now, this broken human being, and um, he offers me grace. He says to me, you, you're a broken human being. Uh, you, you have inherited, same as the Catholics, from, from Adam. Adam's children, and you inherited this sinfulness, and now you need, you need grace. Okay. Now, here, this is kind of interesting. What, what is the impact of this sin upon me? It depends on how old you are. Because if you're, if you're a child... Yeah, we take a picture of the x-ray, you get all the black in there, you got the one little dot of, of hope inside of you, the one little good part in you. Um, but guess what? That sin of Adam, you're not responsible for it. Oh, well, the Catholic guy said, I am responsible for it. Yeah, but we're not we're evangelicals. You're not responsible for it because you, you've got some grace time here before you can actually understand what sin is. And so what happens is God, God kind of holds you in this special place while you're, you're young and kind of holds you under the grace uh, that comes out of your household, your family. You're, you're covered by, by that grace. Um, I'm, I'm going to use an example here. A number of years ago, a series of books came out uh, depicting the end times. And, uh, and this particular set of books, um, I think it was entitled Left, Left Behind, uh, wanted to, to kind of create this evangelical picture of what, you know, what the end times will look at. So, um, as we mentioned earlier, they kind of translate the, the, the thalipsis, the tribulation, into the future. And so where the book starts is with this, what, what, what is referred to as the rapture, starts with this rapture. Now, um, as a Lutheran theologian, we do accept the idea of a rapture, but it's, it's what happens on the last day, on Judgment Day. 
In evangelical Christianity, the rapture happens long before the resurrection day. And the idea is that before all of this ellipsis that the Bible's talking about happens, you get sucked off the earth. Well, who gets sucked off the earth and into heaven to be protected from this tribulation? When you read the books, evangelical Christianity says, well, every baby inside of a mother's womb sucked up into heaven. All the children sucked up in heaven. Why? Because they're not responsible. They don't know if they're sinning or not. And so not till they reach that age of accountability are they, are, are they held accountable for their sin. So the impact of Adam's sin in my life is it's damaged me. It's damaged everyone. And now I've got this little dot of goodness that once I do reach the age of accountability allows me to do one thing. Accept the grace that God offers me. This is kind of interesting. Do I have anything to do with my salvation? Evangelical Christianity? Yes. What? God offers his grace to you, damaged creature. But you got that little dot of goodness that allows you to say, yes, I accept that grace. Because I've become accountable and I understand I'm a sinner and I need, I need it now. Uh, and I take hold of that grace. All right? So you kind of got two different pictures here. Uh, both start in the same place. Catholicism, evangelical Christianity, with the idea that sin has damaged me but left some element within me that's able to cooperate with God. Both are, to use the word, theologically synergistic. They, they allow me to work together with God in some capacity. Now, now let's get to, get to this, this weird group of people out there called Lutherans. And we really, I mean, we really are odd, folks. We are. How, where do we fit into the picture? Well, Luther would say, look at this word here. Death spread to all men. The actual word that's used there is dielthane. Dielthane. It's two words glued together. The first half of it is a preposition, dia, which means through. The second part of it, aelthane, um, is, is the verb that we use to translate to come. And so when you put them together, here's what it's literally translated as, death comes through, what? The sin of Adam, into all men. So we're, we're in the same place with our Catholics and evangelicals in the sense that we would say, well, yeah, de death, eternal death, enters into every human being that's born. Here's the difference. What's the impact? Well, unlike Catholics or, or our evangelical brothers and sisters, what a Lutheran theologian would say is, well, it's death. It's complete in other words, if I can take a, an x-ray of what's going on inside me, it's all black. There's no part of me that wants to work cooperatively with God. In fact, I am exactly what Paul describes in verse 10, which we just read. I am an enemy of God. When God comes to me, can I say, oh, hey, God, you know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to accept your gift. I, I don't want to accept God's gift. 
I'm his enemy. Why would I accept a gift from my enemy? I don't want your gift. I don't need your gift. Right? So Lutherans would say, if you look at the tense of the verb here uh, in verse 12, it's kind of interesting because it says death spread to all men or came into all men through Adam for all men. Look at the tense there, past tense, sinned. We're in the same position that Adam was in, in that garden when he sinned. We are eternally separated from God and without any hope at all, apart from what? The grace of God. So, where does an evangelical get the idea that, no, nope, nope, you, you're, yep, you're, you're damaged, but you're not accountable. Where would you get that idea from? Well, the answer is verse 13, and you have to be pretty darn careful with it. Look at verse 13. It says, For sin, indeed, was in the world before the law was given. We're talking about the, the Ten Commandments, the law given to, to Moses. But, now look at the words here, sin is not counted where there is no law. The term counted there is elogetai, which means charged to one's account. So kind of read that with me again. Sin was in the world before the law was given, but sin was not charged to one's account where there is no law. Oh. See, the evangelicals must be right. You, sin was there, but it's not charged into your account until the law comes. No. No, that's not what Paul is saying. You keep reading. As he says, yet, yet, what? Death reigned from what? From Adam all the way to Moses. So before the law comes, are all these people not accountable for their sin because we we didn't know the law and we weren't aware of it. We, we can't be held accountable. No. What does he say? Death reigned. You you are accountable. You're eternally separated from who? From Adam all the way up to Moses. Even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who is the type of the one to come. What Paul is doing here is he's eliminating any, any idea that we have anything at all within us that has the capacity to earn our own justification, to make us right with God. And he's setting the stage for saying to a group of people, i.e. the church, there is hope, but it's in only one place. And it's the grace of God who comes to human beings. And he doesn't just hold out an offer like, hey, I hope you'll take this. He is the one who works through this gospel to create faith within us that is able to take hold of the gifts of God and make them our own. It's all about him and the work that he desires to do. And we'll pick up with that in verse 15 next week. Let's pray. Lord, as we close out today, just thank you for this time to uh, dive into some thick scripture. Lord, um, not easy to follow, and yet at the same time so core to what we believe about reconciliation, that it's your work. You've entrusted us, as Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, to this ministry of reconciliation. Help us to be those who go out and beg people. Be reconciled to God through Jesus Christ. We pray in his name.
Amen. You all have a great week ahead.